Well, good evening. It is good to be with you this evening, and it's good to hear how uh, the choir ministry has such a, a deep impact in the lives of so many. And as just a, a hearer of the choir and not a participant, how encouraged I have been to s- by the singing of other faithful brothers and sisters in that work, and I think many of us can attest to that. Uh, we're going to continue on in our Sunday night series of one another passages, and these one another passages are commands by God for his people, for the church to treat each other and care about each other and think about each other in a very specific, supernaturally amazing way. And at the core of these commands that we've been looking at is love. It's a love for Jesus, the one who died for us, which leads us to love those people that Jesus died for. Our love for one another is not distinct from the love that we have for Jesus. and As a matter of fact, it flows from it. John writes in 1 John that we are to love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And so the call of all of these teachings have been a call to a type of love that is unique in the church. Our passage is Colossians 3.16. Mark brought me right into it. I appreciate that. I don't even have to introduce it. It is a terrific passage. I'm going to read it, and then we'll pray once again and continue on in our study. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let's pray as we consider this word. Our Heavenly Father, we... Then what the foundation or the basis for uh, admonishing is, and then practically what does it look like for us today to admonish one another in this way? So we'll start with what admonishing is not. Admonishing is not complaining. We don't get to use the Bible to defend us when someone does something that we don't like. For example, if you didn't like a song choice or a tie choice or a youth pastor choice, Chad, sorry. It is not admonishing to say, I don't like this, you, or that. That's not admonishing. Similarly, admonishing is not going to person A about person B's sin and limiting how far they've fallen, what they have done, or what they haven't done. That's not admonishing either. That would be gossip and slander. Admonishing is not a way to make yourself feel better or smarter or more spiritual because you're able to correct or warn someone else about the path that they're taking. That's not admonishing. Admonition is not a public announcement where I say, person A has made this mistake and I am calling them out on it. Admonition is not a YouTube video where you've crushed someone, destroyed someone, owned someone, or something to that effect. And then I would also say that admonition is not optional for God's people. Admonition is not optional for God's people. Admonition is a biblical mandate for God's people, and it is best understood. And to best understand this command, we need to understand its goal and really what the foundation or what the goal is in admonition. Let me look once again at Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, 
teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The prerequisite for this sort of loving action is that the word of God or the word of Christ would dwell in you richly. The word of Christ here is one of the ways that our biblical, trans, our biblical writers will reference or refer to the gospel. If you don't have an ESV, your translation may say, uh, translate as the message of Christ or the message about Christ. This is the gospel. The good news message about how Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life, was nailed to a cross for our sins, was put in the ground And on the third day, he rose from the dead. This is the good news message that is called or needs to be dwelling richly in our lives in order for us to to love one another well, but specifically to admonish one another well. This message, this gospel has to be central to who we are and what we're doing. This message ought to dwell richly in you. You may ask, how can a message dwell richly? What does that look like? I think actually most of us are are pretty good at letting messages dwell richly in us. If you can remember back in the good old days, when the Lions beat the Buccaneers the week before the 49ers game, which we will not speak of, it seemed like the Lions came up in a lot of conversations about how long it had been or how excited we were. They could go all the way. They're not going all the way. Don't laugh at that. (laughs) We let that message dwell richly. Maybe you've gone to a great concert or a great movie or a great show and you you walk out and you just want to tell people. You remember that part when this happened? You remember that solo or look how cool that special effect was when the spaceship landed from behind. Well, you want to talk about it. We let that message dwell richly. Perhaps... You've had a crazy story happen to you at work. That message dwells richly, doesn't it? You can't wait to get home to let someone know how crazy that story is. You see, we don't have a problem with letting news dwell richly in us. But in what ways do we let the gospel message dwell richly in this? Let let me give you some examples of how we can do this. The gospel is, by faith alone, in Christ alone, through the great... Through the grace of God alone, we are saved. We let this message dwell richly when we don't add additional stipulations onto the gospel message or or tears of Christians. Meaning that if the gospel is dwelling richly in me, I cannot look out in this congregation and look at people and think, oh, I'm better than they are, or I'm more spiritual than they are, or I've got it more figured out than they do, and I'm doing pretty good for myself. Or God loves me more because I'm right on more of the issues. See, the gospel is the ultimate leveler. No one deserves to be loved by God, and yet all of us have been loved by God. And so when we are talking about admonition, there is no person in this room that is more loved by God or less loved by God. And so when we come to a brother and sister and we're encouraging them or seeking to correct them, we shouldn't come with this haughty attitude like we've got it figured out and we've just got to explain it to this person who just can't seem to get it. That's not good admonition. Second example, our, our salvation guarantees us a future hope. If we let this truth uh, dwell richly in us, we're not going to be crushed by 
discouragement. And this discouragement can come in a lot of different ways, right? It can come in some geopolitical, social aspect. It can come in a personal way. It can come in a, a physical way, an emotional way. But even when someone comes and corrects us on our own things, right? When someone comes up and says, Dan, I, I need to correct you on this. I need to admonish you in this way. I, I'm warning you about this path you're going down. I'm not going to be crushed by that. Why? Because the message of the gospel is dwelling richly in me, and I understand that my value is not tied to what somebody else thinks about me. My value is tied to what my Savior thinks about me, and he, he loves me, and he loves you. And so we can receive admonition. We can receive correction in a, a great way when we're letting the gospel dwell richly in us. One more. In Christ, we are able to and called to put off the things of the sinful flesh and put on the characteristics of Christ himself. This is what Paul is doing in Colossians chapter 3. If we let this gospel truth dwell richly in us, we are going to daily put to death our sin and daily say yes to the things that God is calling us to. And in doing so, we will grow in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh, oh. Now I, I do that because I learned the fruits of the Spirit through VBS. And I only know it through the song. <clears throat> when we dwell richly, we are going to want to become more like Christ. And as we become more like Christ, we're going to want to put to death those things that are preventing us from becoming like Christ. And so as a, if a brother and sister comes to me and says, hey, in this area of life, you, you've got this thing that is holding you back from being like Christ, we can receive that admonition, we can receive that correction, we can receive that warning and be like, you're right. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to put that away. I want to put that to death. Do you see what's going on in admonition? A dwelling richly on the gospel is what all believers in the world and all times are called to do and we are supposed to be giving glory to God alone for what he has done for us. So we are to let the word of Christ dwell richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Admonition is, or admonition requires, endurance and emotion. Paul writes in Acts twenty thirty one. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. Admonition is not someone coming up to you and saying, hey, you messed up, see ya. Admonishing someone requires time and energy to plead for the souls and hearts of your brother or sister in Christ. It requires something great from you. Admonition depends on a genuine knowledge of God's word. We are to let the word of Christ dwell richly in us. Admonition comes from wisdom only found in God's word, and it's aimed at improving the spiritual condition of the hearer or at least protecting them from their folly. That is what admonition is seeking to do. It is seeking to improve the spiritual condition of the hearer or at least, in the very least, protecting them from their folly. As brothers and sisters, if we see one another walking down a dangerous path or an unwise path or an unhealthy path, we have an obligation to go out of our way, out of our comfort zone, 
and bring them to the word of God and say, you are going the wrong way. This is a dangerous path for you. And so it obviously has to go beyond teaching, right? I can't just say, um, you need to stop or this is wrong what you're doing if I'm unwilling to walk them through the process and how they can grow in this way. It's not just to say, thou shall not steal and then walking away. It's to say, I understand that you're stealing. This is an unwise path. It's a dangerous path. There's, there's major consequences for this. But I love you too much to continue in this way. I love you too much to continue to, to not trust God to meet your needs. We need to learn how to trust God to make, meet our needs, don't we? And we, we, we walk with them through this process. And we walk with them how to apply this into their life and how the gospel works to change their hearts about these things. And what we're finding is that Admonition is deeply personal. When Paul talks about admonition, it is a, a personal relationship that he has. Our call is not to admonish the person or the pastor down the road, but to admonish one another. The call of Scripture is that we admonish and be admonished by people who love us and who we love. How much sweeter is it to receive a correction from somebody you know cares and loves for you? We receive it much better, don't we, than the random person walking in and saying, hey, you're messing up. I can think of a, a specific time where I was admonished by a faithful brother of mine who was calling me out on unwise practices in my, in my personal life, and it was hard to hear. It is hard to hear, isn't it? It's hard to hear correction. It's hard to hear warning. It's hard to hear admonition. And yet, when this brother was doing it, I knew he wasn't doing it because he wanted to get something from me or he wanted um, to lord something over me. He did it because he loved me. As we see in this passage, admonition is aimed at worship. Look once again at Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And then look, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The goal of admonition is that we would be able to walk into a service and worship God for what he has done for us. Man, I was going the wrong way and God saved me. God was going, taking, you were going down the wrong way and God saved you. Let's go in together and worship God. If your admonition, if your correction, if your warnings does not allow you to go into the church, stand by that person and say, great is thy faithfulness together then you're not doing admonition right. The goal is that you would both be able to worship God more fully and more fruitfully through this. And I've got bad news for you. The church is full of admonishers. This command is for all believers to have such care and love for who they are gathering with on Sundays and Wednesdays and all throughout the week that they would care enough to correct them. Admonition is a call to loving your brothers and sisters in Christ, a call to love because Christ has loved us. If you saw your child running out into the street, do a little bit of workshop here, if you saw your child running into the street, would you just say, oh, thou shalt not run in the street or play in the street? Don't do that. Or, ha ha, you went in the street, how silly can you be? You could get hit by a car. Is that our reaction? 
No, our goal is to go grab them by the hand and pull them back. And you have to understand it's unsafe for you to play in the street. There's cars, and the cars are so much bigger than you. You could get injured. This is an unwise path. Don't go that way. It's a genuine care and love. I will admit that it is not fun to think about the prospect of going to your friends, your family, your church family, and saying, I've got to say this. There's a lot of fun things we are non-fun things that we are required to do. I don't think it's particularly enjoyable to change a dirty diaper. I don't think it's particularly enjoyable to do the laundry, shovel the driveway from snow, thank you, 50-degree weather in February. I don't think it's particularly fun taking out the trash. It's definitely not fun changing the dishes in the dishwasher. It's not fun to address conflicts with siblings. It's not fun to address conflicts with parents or children. And yet, these things need to be done. And I think there is a real danger for the church if we do not admonish one another. I think it's evidence of a real lack of love if we do not share with each other the dangers of the paths that people are going down. Brothers and sisters, I'm not saying that we go to our dinner in a minute and you go table by table and say, I've got a lot of problems with a lot of you people and you're going to hear about it. I don't know if that's particularly helpful. But what I am saying is if you see one another one of your brothers or your sisters walking away, walking away from the gospel, walking away from the fellowship of believers, walking away from the covenant that all church members have made with one another, you have a spiritual and loving obligation to say, I think you're going the wrong way. If, you have, if someone hasn't been to church in a while, you have an obligation as their brother and sister to say, hey, I've missed you. How are you doing? I, I, I've missed your encouragement at church. I, I just worry that you can't, well, you can't. You can't follow Jesus fully outside of his covenant family. We were gifted to each other to encourage one another, to build each other up, to love one another. And so if someone's not here, you have an obligation to go and say, hey, I've missed you. This is one practical way that every believer can love their brother and sister. If someone is engaging in a relationship that is causing them to disbelieve something about God or the gospel, if you love that person, what do you got to do? You have to go to them and let them know you're in danger. This, this path you're going, this relationship you're in, this, this situation you're putting yourself in, it's not safe for you. It is leading you to disbelieve something about the nature of God or something about the gospel or something about salvation. Out of love, we've got to admonish that person, don't we? Don't we have to warn them? I think we understand the weight. So, say if someone comes up to you tonight, this is one of the worries about me giving this message. I'm expecting some correction afterwards. If someone comes up to you, someone you know, someone who loves you and corrects you, there are two ways to respond. Proverbs outlines these well. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof, reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. 
The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. There are two ways. You can either accept the, the correction, you can accept the warning, and you can see it as an opportunity to turn from your sin and self and turn towards Christ, or you can reject it. Rejection is a dangerous path. To receive correction from a loving brother or sister who longs for your faithfulness and the church's faithfulness is not happening because they're angry with you or they think they're better than you, but it is because out of love they have been so convinced that Jesus is so good that they want you to know how good he is and they will correct you on those sort of things. Because Christ has so fully accepted you, knowing what sins you have committed and would commit, the faithful believer can hear correction and doesn't get angry or crushed by it. The faithful believer can hear correction and see it as life-giving, and they can see it as love. And that is what we are shooting for in this church. We want to love one another in such a way that we would go out of our comfort zones, that we would go, go correct someone if we were really confident that they were walking away from Jesus. It's not fun, it's not comfortable, but it's loving, is it not? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are good. You have lovingly corrected us from our course at your own sacrifice. As we were going to death and destruction, you came from heaven and died in our place giving us the ability to turn from our sin and self. May we, as your people gathered by your blood, look at one another in such a way that we would call for faithfulness in this congregation, that we would call for faithfulness in our lives, faithfulness in this body, that we would seek to honor you, not just in the big things, but in the small things and all the aspects of life for the sake of your glory for the sake of your worship, for the sake of our good. God, help us to be like Christ and help us to respond to correction in a right way and help us to love in this way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, what we're going to do is we're going to uh, go have dinner together. Uh, If you are visiting with us for the first time, there's plenty of food always uh, you can go out those doors to the gym and you'll hop in the line. There'll always be someone in front of you somehow. No matter how fast you go, there's always someone in front of you. And uh, sit with us, eat with us, engage in uh, conversation that Christ has given to us and the opportunities we can have. Uh, go and eat well and we will see you there. Have a good night, guys.